You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Well, it's great to be with you again, and I'd like to send a cheerio also to those who are visiting us online. My advice about Jonathan is not to believe everything he says. (laughs) He's a good friend of mine, but just be careful and listen attentively to what he says. Well, it's wonderful to be with you and to be sharing in this series uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ. As we've seen, uh, Isaiah 9 begins with a fairly gloomy picture. The gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The background in Isaiah's day is that the Assyrians, the mighty Assyrians, had been uh, invading the Holy Land from the north, which is where Uh, the Assyrians came from, uh, and they had uh, done great damage to the northern kingdom and were about to attack the southern kingdom as well. The Assyrians were renowned in their day for their cruelty. They they were not only uh, a, a nation who, a mighty nation who wanted to capture other nations, but they delighted in being cruel to them as well. And in the midst of the fear of this foe from the north come these words of encouragement. Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of the former times when he, that is God, humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the two most northern tribes. But in the future, He will bring honour to the way of the Lord, to the land east of the Jordan, and to Galilee of the nations. That's the area in the north of the Holy Land. For the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Now, if you know your Bibles well, you'll know that these words are quoted in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake on the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light Those living in the land of the shadow of death, light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So here, way back in Isaiah's time in the Old Testament, uh, 600, 700 years before Christ, we have this prophecy of hope for a desolate people. Prophecy of light in the midst of gloom, in darkness. The prophecy of a great light 
a light that has dawned on those living in the day in the land of darkness it's the uh, most massive contrast isn't it between living in darkness in gloom and then the light shines and indeed throughout the bible that's a picture of god working isn't it uh, in the in the beginning god said what did he say let there be light jesus said i am the light of the world and paul writes that god god's glory has shone, shone in our hearts to give the light of the glory of the knowledge of god in the face of jesus christ god not only shines light but shines light into our hearts and that's what god is doing as we're studying the scriptures this morning now i have a map of the holy land just to help you what's uh, to see what's going on uh, down the bottom is uh, jerusalem about halfway down then Samaria, midway up, and then Galilee, Galilee of the nations, is at the top. And uh, you'll see the Jordan River going down, uh, down towards the Dead Sea. When I first uh, looked at maps at school, I was always surprised when rivers went up a map. That seemed to me quite wrong, because water goes down, doesn't it? And when rivers went from side to side, I thought that's quite wrong as well. Rivers must go down, and this Jordan does this exactly. It goes down uh, the, the center of the map uh, from the Sea of Galilee towards the Dead Sea. Now, the thing was that the north was the place of danger. The north was a place of judgment, of the judgment of God when he brought the Assyrians. The north is the place of disaster. For the Holy Land is, if you like, in a little corridor to the, to the right, to the east, is a desert. So if nations want to come uh, down the Mediterranean, they'd come through the Holy Land. If Egypt wanted to get out of Egypt, and attack the north, it would come through the Holy Land. If the Assyrians or the Babylonians wanted to come down, they'd come down through the Holy Land. And that's why uh, this area is called the Way of the Sea, because big armies and traders would travel down, down the coast of the Mediterranean, the Way of the Sea. But the prophecy is he'll bring honor to the Way of the Sea, the land east of the Jordan, to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And how remarkable and how striking and how apt it is that in the very place where disaster and danger have been, there God comes. We often think that God will come when things are going well. We often think that God might come to us when our lives are in order, when things are going well in our world, when things are... Uh, in, in the right kind of place, then God will shine upon us. But no, the great mystery and marvel at God is that he shines his great light in the midst of our deepest darkness. So if you are in darkness or despair or despondency at the moment, please ask God to shine his wonderful great light into your life. And if you think this world is in a mess, and 
let me tell you, it is in a mess. It is a world of darkness now, isn't it? We can't pretend it's a happy world. And I don't just mean COVID, I mean the threat of war, of nuclear war. I mean global warning. I mean massive injustice. I mean millions of refugees. I mean famine and drought. Our world is a sorry place. No wonder we're praying, come Lord Jesus. But it's into this world, this kind of world, that God can shine his light and will shine his light when the Lord Jesus returns. So what's the response? Verse 3 of Isaiah 9. You've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing the spoils. For notice what God has done. Here's the first reason. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. So God is able to defeat oppressors. What great news for our world today, for all the oppressed people around our world today. What a great message for Christian martyrs who are suffering even today for their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. What a great message for our world that God has the power to break oppressors and cruelty and corrupt governments. For you've shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did in the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned for fuel on the fire. What a wonderful picture of God sorting this world out. And how does God do it? The next verse give the answer. For to us a child is born, a son is given to us. Well, were you expecting that? The great solution to the insoluble problems of the world is a baby. Isn't that extraordinary? You might have expected God to say, well, I'm going to come down and sort you all out once and for all and defeat all the oppressors. By my mighty right arm, I'll win the victory. But for us, a child will be born. A son will be given to us. God's baby. A child born for us. A son given to us. What a beautiful description of the Lord Jesus Christ. A child born for us, a son given to us. A child born, a son given. By whom? By God. Who for? For us. A child will be born for us, a son given to us. Jesus, born for us, given to us. Wow. 
I think it was the Emperor Napoleon who used to say that God was on the side of the big battalions. In other words, if you had the big army, you would win the war. The Bible says God is on the side of the little baby, God's baby, Jesus. And the government will be on his shoulders. What do you think? Well, that's a bit of an anticlimax, isn't it? The government on his shoulders, building roads, things like that. No, no. This means the rule of the world. This means the rule of the universe is on his shoulders. Now, I think in our society today, government is not a very attractive word, is it? People aren't naturally attracted to governments. We're, I think, increasingly more and more suspicious of them as a system and of people who take part in government as well. Certainly the media are. And that's partly because governing is actually a very difficult job. Even church government is difficult. Even governing a football code is difficult. Even running world cricket is difficult. Even sometimes running a household is quite difficult, isn't it? And our despair about in our incapacity to govern wisely and well should in this Bible passage be overwhelmed by the conviction that there is one who does govern well, the Lord Jesus. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be named. This means not just that called this, but He'll earn the name of Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor tells us, uh, Counselor here, by the way, uh, doesn't, doesn't mean a personal advisor. It's a counselor as in someone who is ruling, a ruling council, something like that. Wonderful counsel tells us about his wisdom. Mighty God tells us about his power. Eternal Father tells us about his relationships. And Prince of Peace tells us about the result of his rule. Now, I'm about to say uh, some very critical things about people who exercise government in our world today. But I must say, that the criticisms I'm making of the way in which humans do government is true of the way in which I've been involved in government of a church and then of a college. So I'm not saying, look at all these hopeless people. I'm saying, we humans are like this, you see. It's so hard, isn't it, for people who govern to govern with wisdom, a wonderful counselor. See, people can be clever, can't they, but not wise. You can have all the information, but not know what the right thing to do is. And indeed, sometimes you, when you're in leadership, you get so much information, you just don't know how to decide. 
because if you decide this, this will happen, but this might happen, and if you decide this will happen, but this might happen as well. It's very hard to make wise decisions, and some of you would have experienced that in your, in your work or even in your family. It's very hard to make wise decisions, isn't it? You can make hasty decisions, quick decisions, or you can avoid making decisions, <laughs> or you can make silly decisions. It's very hard to make wise decisions, isn't it? And actually, it's only the Lord Jesus who is the wonderful counsellor. But people who exercise responsibility in government and leadership and so on need not only to have the right, the wise decision, but have the power to achieve it. You can have all the right policies, but the question is about lots of governments and lots of leaders, do they actually achieve their policies or are they just collecting wise policy documents which will never be achieved, never actually put into practice? But this mighty saviour, this wonderful counsellor, is also a mighty God who has the power to achieve his wisdom. How wonderful to have wise leaders who have the power to put into place to effect their wisdom. But then it's possible to have leaders who are like this but who have no people smarts, no people skills, no relational ability, don't understand people at all. But this, this Lord Jesus is the eternal father. That is, he's like a father who's always caring for his family. And what's the result of this mighty leader, the Lord Jesus? It is that he is the prince of peace, of prosperity, of goodness. Not only that, but we also read in verse 7 that the dominion will be vast. That is, it will be a massive kingdom, a worldwide kingdom. Its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David. So now we know he's a king in David's line following the promises of 2 Samuel 7 and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Well, that's quite a baby, isn't it? <laughs> I love looking at babies. If you've got a spare one, I'd love to look at it. Him, her, and say, you've got your grandmother's nose or your mother's teeth or... Well, no, you don't have... Babies don't have teeth. You know what I mean, you know, that's right. Your father's grin or something like that or grandpa's hairdo, something like that. And we like to think what babies might be, but here we know what this baby the baby Jesus will be, don't we? A wonderful counsellor, a mighty God, an eternal father, a prince of peace, whose dominion will be vast, whose prosperity never end, who will reign on the throne of David over his kingdom, establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on forevermore. And the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Well, as a matter of fact, there's quite a lot about babies in the first few chapters of Isaiah. And we also learn from Isaiah chapter 8 that this child born for us, this son to be given to us, uh, will be named Emmanuel, God with us. And we find that promise fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. 
God is present with us in the Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son is present in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's focus a little more on this idea of the wonderful counsellor. Here the counsellor, as I've said, doesn't mean giving personal advice and encouragement, though we all uh, need that, don't we? We need people to advise us and encourage us. But this is about wise leadership, uh, government and rule. It's about the ability to make wise decisions and to make them work. This is a wonderful counsellor. How amazing to believe that the problems of our world will one day be solved by this little baby, Jesus. Who else will end enmity and wars in the world but the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns? Who else will wipe out corruption and deceit but the Lord Jesus when he returns? Who else will restore the earth to its original beauty and even more glorious beauty when he returns? The Lord Jesus. Who else will end all disease and pain and suffering and sorrow? The Lord Jesus. Who else will end death, defeat death? Answer, the Lord Jesus. And who else will banish Satan from his power in this world? The Lord Jesus, God's baby, will do this. We find a similar promise in chapter 11 of Isaiah. The promise is underlined in chapter 11. Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse. <laughs> that is, the, the, God's people have been cut down. There's just a stump left. You, have you seen that? And then all of a sudden from the stump, a shoot comes up. You think that tree's gone, it's dead. But there is a fresh shoot. A branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel, there's the same word, and strength, a spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Yes, the spirit did rest on Jesus at his baptism. A spirit of wisdom and understanding of counsel and strength, of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And this wonderful counsel, this baby Jesus, who'll of course grow up to be a man and die and be raised again on the third day, is like God. We find in Isaiah uh, that there's no one with God's wisdom. 
Who has directed the spirit of the Lord or given him counsel? Or this also comes from the Lord of armies. He gives wondrous advice. He gives great wisdom. So Jesus shows his godness, his divinity in being a wise saviour, a mighty God, a wonderful counsellor, an eternal father, and a prince of peace. And this wonderful counsellor is so unlike the other counsellors of Isaiah's day, unlike the rulers of Egypt. Isaiah 19, the princes of Zoan, that's in Egypt, are complete fools. Pharaoh's wisest advisers give stupid advice. <laughs> Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, Egypt was one of the great kingdoms we, we can still find, can't we, the wonderful relics of that great kingdom. But uh, compared to God, they are foolish. They don't know how things work. God does. They don't know how to make what they want to work work. God does. They don't know how to maintain their kingdom. God does. They don't know how to solve their problems. God does. And unlike the gods or fortune tellers, Isaiah 41, when I look, there is no one. There is no counselor among them. That is, you, you can go to other gods and other fortune tellers, but you won't find anything but, but foolishness. For true wisdom, lasting wisdom, eternal wisdom, is only found in God. And from God, only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Or people in Isaiah's day were busy trying to solve their problems by going to astrologers. You're worn out with your many consultations. So let the astrologers stand and save you, those who observe the stars, those who predict monthly what will happen to you. It just amazes me that uh, people use science to throw out Christianity, but still believe in a kind of fatalism in the world around them and even look at their horoscope or something like that. I mean, how bizarre to throw out Jesus Christ and believe that rubbish, those lies. No, this baby Jesus will be a wonderful counsellor, a wise counsellor, God's counsellor. And how do we find this wisdom of God in Christ worked out through the rest of the Bible. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11. At that time Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. Isn't that extraordinary? The wiser you think you are, the more humble you need to become before God. The cleverer you think you are, the more humble you need to become before God. For God's hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to infants. The sharper you think you are, the more humble you need to become. The more devious you think you are, the more humble you need to become. The more powerful you think you are, the more humble you need to become. And put your hand in God's hand and say, please guide me. Please lead me. 
Please direct me. Please look after me. Please protect me. Or again in Romans 11. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who's ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Yes, true wisdom means recognising that God is the only wise God. True wisdom for us is knowing God in Christ. Knowing Christ as God's wisdom. Or again in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to us who are being saved. For it is written, here is God's policy from Isaiah, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will set aside the intelligence of the intelligent. For since in God's wisdom the world did not know God through wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. For the Jews ask for signs, and the Greeks seek wisdom. As people today want signs or wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. What's the greatest sign of God's power in the whole universe? The death of Jesus on the cross. What's the greatest sign of God's wisdom in the whole of human history? The answer, Jesus' death on the cross, Christ crucified. For Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. That is, even God on a bad day can do better than we can. <laughs> and God's weakness, well, is it weakness? It's stronger than human strength. For Jesus is mighty to save. And the baby who grew up and died, Christ crucified, will come again. Christ is born. Come, Lord Jesus. And finally, from Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, Paul, that's writing his letter, for those in Laodicea, for all who've not seen me in person. So what, what's the struggle, Paul? I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have... Will you say these words with me, please? All the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ, 
in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Christ is the wisdom of God and in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, you may say to me, I already know that. I'm already a believer. Well, so were the Colossians. Paul wants them to grow in their knowledge of Christ. Have I done my aeroplane impression for you? Here's an aeroplane, lots of effort to get up into the air. Then it coasts, remember aeroplane coast? Remember being an aeroplane? Then they coast, don't they? They don't use much energy. And then they finally land, you hope, uh, at an airport. That's the best way. And often we Christians think that we need a bit of effort to get going in the Christian life, but then we can coast, you see, because we know it all. But actually we don't know it all. There's more and more of God to know in Jesus Christ. Please don't think that you know it all just because you've been going to church for all your life. Just don't think you know it all because you've heard this Bible verse before. I find with the Bible that every time I read it, I find something that I've never seen before. I think I've never noticed. I've preached on that passage a thousand times and never seen that before. It's so wonderful. No, uh, human life is meant to be lifelong growing, lifelong learning. And the Christian life is meant to be lifelong growing, lifelong learning. And the Christian ministry, dear brother, is meant to be lifelong growing and lifelong learning. And human development is lifelong growing and lifelong learning. And what's the purpose of our lifelong learning? It is to know the riches of complete understanding, knowledge of God's mystery, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we will spend the rest of our lives finding all those treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And we'll spend all eternity praising God for all those treasures of wisdom and knowledge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lifelong learning, lifelong growing, lifelong changing, lifelong repenting, lifelong transformation. That's the key to human life, but the key to life in Christ, life with God. child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Christ is born. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.